Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Games Under Grace podcast. We are a um, podcast under the Geeks Under Grace umbrella. We are all writers on that website, and um, we are excited to tell you about video games this week, about what we've been playing, about news, um, and maybe have a topic of discussion. Usually it's me finding something to complain about, but uh, first some introductions. I'm Derek Thompson, and I also do tabletop and some gaming PR, and we also have Samuel Kim. Hello. Sometimes we call him Skim because he usually has the skinny on the Japanese news. And then Malachi Key is one of our editors. Glad to be here, finally. And you may notice that David Corey is missing. Uh, he is uh, being a family man this week. Can't really blame him for that. Um, but we will probably have him back next time. All right, so first we're going to talk about what we played this week. And so I have this feeling, I don't know if this is called Inui or what, but you know that feeling when you finish a book that was really good or a series and you put it down and then you're like, everything sucks now because uh, nothing else is as good as when I was reading this book. <laughs> and then you start a new book and it's like, this is garbage. Well, I finished Hades. I got to the um, at least the credits and then I started other games and they were bad. So that's a good example of a... Of a good game. I said in chat this week that I don't know if it's my favorite game of 2020. It's probably third or fourth, but I think that game is objectively a 10-10. I, it was uh, it was quite good. But I did. I, I spent forever then trying to find something decent to play. And today I played a short hike, which I just turned on and then played all the way through in one sitting. And that was, it's such a complete opposite, unrelated to you know I was playing an action game where you're <coughs> killing everything, and now it's just a wander around and talk to people. And a short hike was better than it had any right to be. At first, I was like, this is kind of dumb. And then by the end, I was like, this is the most wholesome thing I've ever played. <laughs> Sam, what have you been playing? Um, well, actually, before before I do that, I wanted to ask, um, what other games did you try to play to get the same experience oh, okay. from Hades? Well, it wasn't the same experience. I was just trying. We're, we're all working on Backlog Golf, which we'll talk about later. And okay. So I was just trying to dig out anything that I had. So... Um, I started back up Iconoclast. Basically, when I bought my Switch, I, everybody was like, these indies are great. Indies are great now. And so I bought a bunch of indies, even though they weren't really my style. And now I still have them, and I haven't played them. Mm. So uh, I've, I'm going back to Iconoclast. I did start it tonight again, but um, it's okay. I feel like the the story is pretty good in that game, and the platforming is cool, but the the actual like writing of each line is very stilted. Like The dialogue is pretty stilted. Um I played, uh, I played the Monster Monster Hunter Rise demo, which Samuel's going to talk about later. But it's that's just really not my style. Um, and then I'm still in the middle of Tales of Zestaria, but I just got sidetracked. Um, also, my wife and daughter are back home, which means the the TV that the PS5 is hooked up to, my daughter keeps wanting to watch YouTube <laughs> on the big TV, so I end up on the Switch. Um, I feel like there was another game I was playing this week, but yeah, the short hike was good well i keep helping my daughter i have a six-year-old and i keep helping her with untitled goose game because she gets stuck on something or other so we were trying to we were trying to put the ribbon on today if you play that game you have to like uh get rid of a duck statue and then distract the lady and then go stand where the statue was so that the lady thinks you're the statue and puts the ribbon on you instead of on the statue and <laughs> it's a giant pain in the neck i feel like getting your kid to play untitled goose game is kind of teach her to be more mischievous and I want to watch out for that. She starts stealing random garden supplies. Yeah, I, I may regret this later. We'll see. Uh, mischief yeah, like will probably be ingrained into her. 
point from Haiti, if anything else, is kind of like having a really gourmet steak, and then you have to go back to this. Oh, I'm getting McDonald's again. Not that I would know. I don't really eat gourmet steaks, but that's probably what it's like. <laughs> I do wish one thing that's annoying about Hades is that it. Um, I just hate the fact that the Switch doesn't have an achievement list. So I think if I was playing it on Steam and actually had like a PC that wasn't crap, I would probably play it more in Platinum it, um, or 100% it, I guess, or whatever you call it on Steam. Um, and it, it has cross saves, but I'm not going to go buy it on Steam just to check what I've done on Switch. So uh, we do have... I put 25 hours in to beat the um, final boss, but I was in God mode, in the easy mode. And we have another staffer that is trying to get to like the final, final ending, and she's 75 hours into it and doesn't have it yet. So one thing that I was reading this week about how to get the final ending, and from what I can tell, the internet doesn't know how to do it, which is surprising. There was a lot of like, if you do all this, it works, but we're not sure which parts are necessary. So like, just do all of this, maybe <laughs> it'll work. But I couldn't find any clear guide on like, do this and this and this exactly, and that's how you get it. That's kind of impressive. I really like, <clears throat> especially with the internet, it's kind of hard to put out a game that collectively stumps people for more longer than like a week. But every now and then you have something like Fez or apparently Hades that people are like, I, I don't know, dude. I'm curious to see how long it'll take people to figure it out. Yeah. Um, like, the more I've been playing Hades recently, the more I'm kind of realizing there are a lot of parallels between Hades and um, Binding of Isaac, if any of you guys remember that old game. Um, it, except game. that, like, I think Hades has managed to find a way to nuance uh, what Binding of Isaac did really well, which was give you more stuff to unlock um, and give you more reasons to like try to complete the game over and over uh, on the harder difficulties, for that matter. Because, like, um, you know, by the time uh, Binding of Isaac Rebirth came around, like, oh my goodness, I'd have to check again, but I think it's, like, close to 20 endings at this point that you can get for that game and i mean it's like it's mostly nothing really uh it's just like little bits of lore um that hint at possible things about the key characters in binding of isaac but um it's all really about just like hey if you you know if you go all the way to the womb and defeat mom's heart like 10 times then you get the true ending and then oh no and then after you do that it's like oh now there's another dungeon that you can get to and that one's even harder and, and then like they just kept adding more to the point where it's just like okay i need to stop because some of these later bosses are absolutely ridiculous so but um with hades i really enjoy how every death still feels like progress even though you haven't unlocked anything new or made any like material progress it still adds in like bits and pieces of the story with each death to make you like feel like oh i'm still accomplishing something which is like that's really good positive reinforcement um for the player um and i think that's why it i, I think that's why it makes playing a game like hades much more enjoyable over uh like how Binding of Isaac does, does it. I will say, without getting too much in the spoiler territory, there's a um, in Hades. Once you escape once, you can turn up the heat. So there's like ways to make it harder and to get more rewards. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them was like, give a bosses have like extra abilities. 
And when I did that one, um, the first boss changed drastically, and I thought the game—I thought I was like out of surprises in that game, and they still surprised me again. So I was even like twenty hours in, I was still like, "Man, this game is still pulling stuff I didn't expect." I feel like when it comes to those, you know, looping roguelikes, you have either the kind of person you have like two kinds of people, where you have the person that's, "Oh, there's more endings. Well, I got to unlock all of those," or you have someone who makes it all the way in, and they're like, "That's it. I've had enough. Goodbye." I haven't played Hades yet, but my experience with games like this tells me I'm probably only going to do it once. Uh, I know I beat Enter the Gungeon, and I was obsessed with that game for a while, but <clears> once it had tortured me enough for me to make it to the ending, I was like, okay. Like, you want to lock more characters? No, I'm done. Sorry, bye. It's funny that you mentioned Enter the Gungeon, because um, that was like the next big roguelike that I played after playing Binding of Isaac. And like, um, from a Christian standpoint, um, I know playing that game can be controversial um uh, with how it depicts uh no binding of isaac sorry um, oh i was gonna say yeah sorry guns are very yeah sorry I, i'm comparing the two uh for me so like yeah as, as much as as much of a controversial um message binding of isaac may have towards religion like there was still something about that game that just kept uh like kept bringing me back even though like after a certain point, it's like, well, I kind of already unlocked everything, but I really want to play again because, um, and I think the biggest thing about that was, um, uh, in Binding of Isaac, there are really bad builds, but then there were some really broken builds and I get that same feeling from Hades as well. And right now that's like the biggest thing that's, uh, getting me to keep going through another run with Hades as well um just like i'm really excited to see what combinations of boons that i can get to really um to really like expedite my runs um like a recent run that i had um i was using the spear and um i was upgrading my special and then i picked up an upgrade that turned the special into a into an exploding projectile and it was actually like becoming a pretty good room clearer for me at that point. And I was just like, Oh, Oh, Oh no. I feel it again. That itch, that itch for broken builds. Now I want to keep playing the game. So, um, but, um, sorry, uh, to go back to my point, sorry. I just kind of realized I went on a tangent again, but, um, yeah, for enter the gungeon for me, I feel like the biggest problem uh, for that game is that it takes a little too long to really to really appreciate how that game plays um like even after a while it still kind of felt like it's it's hard to really feel like i'm making progress in enter the gungeon as much as it felt like i was making progress with binding of isaac um so i don't know it, it's possibly one of those more nuanced things because um, like you know concerning all the other things that enter the gungeon does much better compared to binding of isaac like movements better um there's more of a focus on um on the projectile mechanics um in enter the gungeon compared to binding of isaac where it was like binding of isaac was kind of a throw every idea at the wall and see what sticks whereas enter the gungeon uh, had like a better idea of what it, 
they want to do with their weapons. Um, but I don't know. It, it just felt kind of uh, simple, I guess, um, for me anyways. And it, it was kind of like, I'm not sure why I don't enjoy uh, Enter the Gungeon as much as other people did. And I do want to appreciate it in some way, but it's like, I don't know, something about Binding of Isaac um, having that uh, simplistic uh, game style, like, you know, it borrows heavily from Legend of Zelda 1 uh, with how most of its dungeon design at the very beginning. And then it just kind of like kept adding more stuff to it, uh, which was kind of like... Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's really chaotic. And when you're a new player going into that game, it it starts to feel like extremely overwhelming. Like there's a there's a final DLC coming out for Rebirth, uh, I, I think next month or the month after. And that's just like, I'm not even sure if I could even go back to that, to Binding of Isaac um, for that expansion. Because at this point, it's like, I kind of already played it out, but I still appreciate it more than most of other most of the other roguelikes that I've ever tried out. And Hades has been the only game out of like all the other roguelikes that have come out um with uh that are like somewhat similar in in how you traverse that's just like yeah, I want to keep playing this game. Like um I want to keep going through runs. I want to like hit my head against the wall. And just like make my way to the end, no matter how sloppy it is. So what you just said about those two extremes about throwing everything against the wall and then being simple, I feel like Hades <sighs> hits that middle ground where it's um, there's a lot you can do, but it's focused. I feel like that's the, game, the word I would describe with that game. It's very focused. Um, my only complaint I can think of is I felt like ten runs to get the ending was a, like ten successful runs felt a little unnecessary to do it that many times, but I really wasn't sick of it. But speaking of focus. Malachi, what have you been playing? Um, so it's been a bit of a busy season. I actually haven't been playing games as much as I would like. But this past weekend, or was it two weeks ago? Wow, okay. This year is already kind of... Uh, no, I think it was this past weekend. Yeah, that's right. This past weekend, um, my siblings got an Oculus Quest 2 for Christmas, like a belated Christmas present. Um, and I got a chance to play around with that. And... Uh, I've got to say, you know, a lot of people have the constant discussion, is VR a fad? Is it a trend? No, is it going to die out? I think it's only getting better, honestly, just from stuff that I've tried out. And then seeing the Quest 2, it's got its issues. Don't get me wrong. I cannot stand the fact that you have to have a Facebook account to use it. That's I'm big on the idea of digital privacy, and that's by far one of the most egregious things I've ever seen any company do. Yeah, They're like, it's fine. You can just make one. It's actually, we can probably discuss even more of this later next week, but it's actually kind of a big issue for developers because they have to maintain Facebook accounts to be able to develop for the Quest. And a lot of the accounts have just been banned by, by Facebook for like odd activity because they'll make like burner accounts and then Facebook will be like, this isn't a real account and ban them. And then they're like, well, now we're locked out of development access. It's a very weird issue, but the Quest itself feels good. It's a proper wireless VR headset. It's got just enough more power than the Quest 1 to where it can run stuff that actually feels decent. Like the quest felt very restrictive in terms of its lineup, where this is a little more approaching like the kind of games you get from a 
proper VR headset. Um, but all that, all that is to say, you know, I tried out Beat Saber. It was fun. All the little like things that come with the Quest Two. Uh, but my highlight has to be Super Hot VR, which was something that I played oh, all the man. way through this past weekend. So I I've played the original Super Hot, and I've just got to say they're they're not at all comparable experiences. The gameplay mechanic was pretty much made for VR. You might as well call it John like John Wick the game. I know it only like has a game. It's not as good as Super Hot VR. Like legitimately, I worked up a sweat just in terms of how how much that mechanic works excellently in VR. It has you. It had me at points that I'm like crawling on my knees trying to reach a gun that was like just out of reach and almost hitting my head on stuff because you know in real life I'm not peeking out around the corner. There's a table there. Um, should have mapped out the play space better. One point I almost tripped over my dog several times. I actually have. Oh man. I have two dachshunds who are born pacifists. Like they panic whenever they see anybody fighting, and one of them started losing his mind at me as I was swinging at the air because he thought I was fighting off a burglar and there was no one there. Um, I don't know what to say. I would also say it's just, it's a really great experience. I mean, the mechanics work excellently with it. You know, the whole idea of time moves when you move is put in a whole different context in VR because it's like, I, you have to make, it work up, you work up a sweat is all I'll say. Um, yeah, that's it. It's just a really cool experience, and I'm I'm excited to see what else VR will do. But I think Super Hot VR is one of the better experiences available out there right now. Speaking of time mechanisms, I remember the other game that I played this week was Transistor, because I was like, I'll just buy every old Super Giant game because Hades was so good, and Transistor is weird. <laughs> Have you played that game, Samu? Yeah. Um, oh man, that's a game I really need to get back to because. Um... That's one of those games where it's like, oh, okay, so this kind of plays like a JRPG, but it's really different. And um, I really like how the combat in that game is where it's like, it's kind of, like, surprisingly, it kind of reminds me of Tales of the Tales series um, with how their bell system is. But at the same time, it's like, it's still time based. Um, if you really want to, if you really want to like cross wires, um, it's kind of similar to um, like how turns work in Star Renegades, and then you combine that with the active battle system from a Tales series, but then you put it into an isometric grid. You know, after. You turning me off to about 20 games in our past talks. You finally convinced me. Comparing that to Tails kind of made it click in my head. Because at first when I was playing it, I was like, what am I doing? But that makes more sense. I got to go back to it. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because, like, um, for me, um, having played uh, Bastion and Transistor um, to a certain extent, um, to me, Hades kind of feels like the uh like the combination of every single super giant game that has come before it and it's like applying all the lessons that they've learned and all the good absolutely good things from each of those games into one game and then it's like okay we think we have the best um best uh like gameplay cycle 
So what type of game should we apply this to? Oh, a roguelike. Perfect. And then you get Hades. With a bit more time in the oven, but you know. Yeah, part of me wants to call it their magnum opus, but then I don't want the next game to suck. So, but I do think it'll be hard to follow. I, I, if I were them, I'd be putting out some DLC before I worried about making another game. I don't know if or you'll get that though. Some companies, it's best to just go, oh, we put out a really good Hades. Let's try it a different genre and mess around with that before we think about Hades too, because you want to really make sure you get your concepts down and see if there needs to be Hades too. Otherwise, you just release a sequel that can't let it be original. Well, I think... But, yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes it works. Splunky 2, for example, is a really good roguelike that managed to follow up, come out, came out recently, managed to follow up on the original really well. So. That was a long time ago between those two, though. Um, and considering how Supergiant works, um, it, it may not be the best idea to just assume that they'll do a sequel of Hades um, or even like a Hades 2 with just like different characters or anything like that. If they were to do something similar, it would probably be like, I don't know, Niflheim or uh, uh, oh my goodness, why am I blanking on Japanese mythology right now? Whatever that would be or something like that. But DLC, the I mean, I guess their past games don't have a DLC, but it seems really obvious what you could. I mean, adding a seventh weapon, right, is a is an easy a gun. Uh, spoilers. Yes, it's a gun. <laughs> have you, have you, you haven't played it yet, have you? I've not played Hades. Okay, there is, now, now there I is, know there might be a gun in there. <laughs> there is a gun. Yeah, congratulations, spoilers. you guessed one of the weapons. Well, that was the only thing I wanted. I was keeping me with playing Hades, but I said, you know, there's not enough guns in this game, and now I'm convinced. So interesting uh, enough, like um, after uh, people in our group chat were talking about Hades, uh, and they were bringing up the gun, and I'm just like, what's so good about this gun? And then I unlock it. I'm like, yeah, and it was by far like my most successful run so far, um, getting me all the way to the third dungeon. And I'm just like, oh, I see. Except the only problem is I'm playing that game completely differently to how I was playing it before, like even with the bow and arrow. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to touch this weapon anymore until I beat, until like I either beat the game with every other weapon first. And then just use that weapon as my run clearer, because that is, that that weapon is by far like the most reliable weapon, honestly, because it's like, because um, even at its base level, it's like the range is good. Um, it hits enough times where it can cause enough hit stop, that it's just like yeah no like, you want to talk about um, doing safe runs, you go with the gun. Otherwise, it's like, uh, like just keep suffering and learn how to play the game more honestly with the other weapons. I ended up clearing it the most times with the spear. There's a there's a mm. Daedalus upgrade called Flurry Jab. I don't know if you had that, but I always kept forgetting that the the spin attack even existed. And oh, so yeah, there's one there's one where you lose the spin attack, but if you hold Y, you just constantly attack. Like you just don't stop poking. And mm -hmm. it's very easy to just pin people from a distance and then, like, if they can't move while you sit there and jab them over and over. Mm -hmm. So you can you can do a pretty safe run with the spear if you get flurry jab. Okay. Anyway, 
this is our, this is the second episode in a row where we've just ranted about Hades, which I guess is a testament <laughs> to that game. But we're, we'll um, probably be podcast. talking about it for a while. So, tangents under grace—that's the new name I'm thinking. <laughs> oh no! All right, I don't want to think about trigonometry anymore. Uh, the math professor in the room takes offense. But let's go ahead and switch to news. Um, so I mentioned Monster Hunter Rise. The demo's out this week. And Sam, you played it a lot more than I did, so why don't you give your thoughts? I mean, you say that, but I don't know if I would consider your playtime even considerable. <laughs> yeah, I basically turned it on for five minutes and turned it off. Fair enough. That's okay. I'm trying not to buy new games. Yeah. As long as no, you see true. a monster, it counts at the playthrough. I don't think I saw a monster. See, that's the problem. Uh, I'm just like the plumber look, uh, looking at the issue and is like, see, that's your problem there. Um, but yeah, um, I, I mean, I know I said last time that I may consider putting this one off uh, even when it comes out. Um, as much as I would love to play this game, um, I basically just went through the tutorials of the demo so far. Um but yeah, these new mechanics, the wire bug and um, the wyvern writing are such fun mechanics. Like uh, if um, I, I haven't played any of the older Monster Hunter games, but going into world, it's like uh, one of the biggest issues I had was um, a later mechanic you get where you can ride like animal buddies to get around. The problem was you couldn't really control them. You kind of just had to um you had to call for one uh wait for them to come and then set a checkpoint on your map for them to take you to and then you basically just have to wait and like especially for as big of a release as monster hunter world was that mechanic kind of felt like um like it felt really half-baked for me and it was just kind of like Eh, I mean, I guess I can just think of it as taking a break um, after after suffering so many horrible times and just trying to get that one uh, piece that I need for that new armor I really want to make. But um, other than that, um, the wire bug function is really cool. Uh, basically, the way it works, I would, I would call it like the Epona mechanic, um, except like... You know how in Legend of Zelda, Epona, when you ride Epona, um, she has like dash charges that she can use, and then you have to wait for them to build back up. The Wirebug essentially works the same way, except the Wirebug lets you traverse through the air, um, and you have two charges. Uh, it's it's like really snappy, and it's really good too. Um, like uh, there are two context actions where. Um, I believe it's, uh, the ZL trigger, um, and then holding that down and X will shoot you up while, uh, while ZL and A will shoot you forward. And if you're in the air, ZL and A shoot you back down to the ground. Um, and you can also aim it as well. Um, and apparently it's going to be used to initiate wall running as well, but I haven't tried that yet. Um, so I, I think in this, in Rise, that mechanic is definitely going to be important um, b 
because I can already imagine, like, uh, considering a lot of the enclosed spaces that were in World, like, just having that ability of traversing an area will uh, will open up many different ways where you can attack uh, giant monsters. Like, you can wall run and then attack them from the side and uh, just give you, a like, a ton of other approaches that you can do. Um, and then the other thing, and, and this one's actually big because it, it's probably, like, the most insane mechanic I, I think the Monster Hunter team has ever done, which is the Wyvern writing. So normally, um, when you're when you're attacking one of the uh, bigger monsters, um, you you have a slight chance of mounting that monster, and then like uh, just basically do a long time, like a somewhat um, a somewhat drawn out uh, timed event where you're basically just trying to knock it down, and that was basically it. But what wyvern writing, as it implies, it lets you, um, if the if the monster is in a knockdown state, you can then actually take control of the giant monster and then ride it for a bit. And um, uh, remembering from the trailer, you can also use it against other giant monsters that may be that may be in the same map, and fight against them with it as well. Uh, it's really interesting because it. Um, it also adds like additional weapon actions depending on what weapon you have and that's already like okay because like um, each of the weapons of Monster Hunter uh, 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 my friend who told me about this before who told who was like training me through Monster Hunter World said that basically every weapon in Monster Hunter is essentially like uh, getting access to a to a character action uh, player character where like they all have their own moves um, and unique skill sets uh, that add something um, to how you play through the game. And so with Wyvern writing, um, I think it adds like uh, a few, a few other dismount moves and moves you can do while you're writing uh, while you're writing the giant monster as well that's already like oh my goodness like this is another these are like another handful of moves i'm gonna have to remember and that honestly excites me because like um like like being able to do more moves is always fun for me um uh, it, it's basically like you know like if devil may cry 5 um like they decided to do another dlc and i was like okay now you can play as dante but you also get nero's Nero's moveset on top of that and I'm like yeah give it to me I don't care how complicated it is just let, let me let me like experiment with everything um, so yeah like even playing those two tutorial missions I did I was just like like my mind was racing with like what kind of stuff I could do uh, in the full game eventually and that's why I'm going to play it uh, later tonight um, with the first hunt actually, and just see what else I can do. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, what you're describing about it and um, the little I played of it kind of gave me Horizon Zero Dawn vibes um, mm -hmm. with, like, overriding machines. Um, but uh, Horizon Zero Dawn also has an excellent story. So I think here I'll probably wait for reviews, and if the story's good, I might check it out again. 
Well, I, I think the I, I think the problem uh, with that approach is that Monster Hunter isn't really about the story. Um, I, I, I will say I will say it helps because uh, that's definitely what helped sell Monster Hunter World to many people who never played a Monster Hunter game and uh, get attached to how that game works. It, it's just like. Um, it's kind of like, uh, I'm not sure if I want to make this comparison. I would almost call it like the anti-roguelike in a way where it's not about, um, it's not about failing fast and then going again. It's about, it's really about like planning. Like I, I would almost consider it similar to like, um, like playing a Hitman game, if that makes any sense. Because in Hitman, you know, you have many different methods in a mission where you can uh, eliminate a target, right? But if you plan it out, you stake out the area, you look at other approaches that you can do while you're in the mission, um, you know, your plan can change or you may want to try to do it a different way. Uh, I would say Monster Hunter is very similar to that. Um, granted, um, I believe, um, I believe Monster Hunter World, uh, has a lot more leeway compared to the older games, but, but like, um, if you just, if you, uh, just go into it expecting like, oh, I'm just going to treat this like any regular action game. That's not really how you should approach it. Um, you should approach it as if it's like, no, like. Think about it. You're taking on a monster that's 50 times your size. Yeah, you want to do some planning. Uh, you want to figure out what it's weak to. You want to figure out um, how it moves, how it attacks, uh, what it's going to try to do if uh, you got it on the ropes or if you get it mad uh, because anger is an actual, like, is like an actual status for the monsters in those games. Um, but at the same time, it's it's like uh, it's kind of a primal feeling in a in another way too, where it's like, um, like there's the half where it's planning, but then the other half where like you just kind of go go with the flow and change your plan accordingly to how it goes. Um, and there's some satisfaction uh, playing a game like that, where it's really all about like just taking on this huge target. Um, fighting to fighting tooth and nail until you finally achieve victory and then claim your reward make make new armor or weapons and then go out and do it again kind of like a delayed gratification versus instant gratification idea you know where sure you can have a game plenty of games in fact that focus on creating spectacle where it's like what if you had this guy who's really good with guns and swords and uses the guns and swords to fight a giant dragon? That's cool. But, you know, a lot of times there's the idea of like hardcore versus like friendly to newcomers. And so you don't necessarily earn that battle as much as it's you almost like just watching this happen where there's a distinct difference where when you do have cool moments, you're capable of knowing that, oh, hey, I did that. And it wasn't just something the game threw at me and everyone got to experience. It's my own unique 
I plan this out and or I was able to think on the fly when my plan failed. And from what I know, Monster Hunter has really, really long like those those hunts can take a long time too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's kind of an acquired taste. I I, I want to get into it at some point. But from what I've seen of it, it's it's impressive because it really is a bit of a subversion of the narrative where it's like you want to feel like a cool action hero, but you don't have to work for it. And you know, that's good for a lot of people. But in contrast, I like the idea of having a little more substance, a little like, hey, you know, you have to be a cool action hero, but that requires prep time. You know, any Batman fan will tell you that you can't eat Superman if you don't give him like a day of prep time to get all his kryptonite stuff together. So Speaking of characters like Sam talked about with other characters' movesets, uh, there was some news this week that Violet and Smash, that everybody threw a fit about yet another Fire Emblem character. Um, there's a reason for that. Uh, she actually has somebody else's moveset from a third-party character that fell through. Um, and if I have the story right, there's no proof but suspicion that it was supposed to be Monster Hunter, and that's why we got some stages and whatnot um, from Monster Hunter at that time, but no characters. Um, and the people, the Capcom doesn't actually generally want Monster Hunter to be um, a character in other um, media, which is probably how it fell through. Um, and I did I did actually think, it kind of makes sense, I did find that Byleth was a strange choice of a Fire Emblem character to use. I mean, I know she's the main character, but she's also somewhat of an avatar. So it, it jives with me. I don't know. I guess I can't verify the veracity of that article, but... Um, Makes sense. It's also kind of interesting to think about what's coming next for Smash still, and it's also a testament to Smash itself that what are we like two year, two or three years later that we're still having Smash news every week. Yeah, just about. Um, and I mean to be fair, like, uh, as much as like this gets my brain going about like you know oh you know I kind of want to talk about uh, the next DLC fighters. Because obviously, who doesn't want to talk about the next DLC fighters? As silly as that is, um, it, it's also just like you know. Um, the other problem is with anything related to a Nintendo IP, you always have to take this stuff with a grain of salt. Because um, I I think if I remember correctly, um, when Sakurai did that video presenting Byleth when. Um, when that character was dropped, um, I, I think he clarified that Byleth was originally supposed to be in the game, in the base roster, but they didn't have enough time, I suppose. And I think like uh, Three Houses wasn't even out yet um, when they were when uh, Smash Ultimate was supposed to be released. So, you know, who's to say? That being said... Um, <clears throat> According to this article, the insider who uh, who talks about these claims, uh, it, it seems to be somewhat reliable. So who's to say, really? Um, but then again, like it, it's it's already a pretty dicey issue to talk about a character that's already been released, um, and then like I don't know, saying. Uh, saying that they could possibly still get added into the game uh, is also pretty dicey, so who knows? Um, 
One thing that I think lends credence to the, the to the idea that Violet was kind of unintentional. Um, if I remember right, for the second pack, she was the fifth character, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like in general with those packs, you want the final reveal to be like, "Ta-da! Here's our big surprise!" And it was kind of like, "Here's another Fire Emblem character." I mean, I don't know. It's still anticlimactic. It's almost kind of like, you know, fans, fans mean to that mean to that hard because that's such a Nintendo thing to be like, here's another Fire Emblem character. What, you, you yeah. guys don't like Fire Emblem? I mean, I do. Oh, and I think if she had been first instead of fifth, you know, probably there'd be less backlash. But, like, capping off a season pass with, like, Fire Emblem, again, it makes sense that maybe that wasn't on purpose. Especially after some of the crazy ones we got before Byleth 2. Like, uh... oh, shoot, hang on. You know what? Let me look at it again. Hero was in that pack, I think. Which is also just... Um... Piranha Plant was there, right? Was, was that part of that pack? I don't remember for sure. Uh, he... Piranha Plant was, was included the... in the base roster, actually. Yeah, that was a that was a bonus for pre-ordering or something. You're right, but... you're right. It was their day one. But Hero was such a... Um, similar character, too, in terms of like genre... And a little more of a more interesting pick, but also another avatar character, right? So having those two close together seems a little strange. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, the difference is Heroes, you know, from a franchise that hadn't been added yet. So it was kind of at least right. moderately interesting. The fans were like, oh, yeah, you know, Dragon Quest, take it or leave it. But, you know, there's a new character here, a new pack. Violet is a bit of a different story. So I, I, I see the story is pretty likely. Like you said, it's kind of an odd pattern to have. The fifth character just be another Fire Emblem character, not just, but you know. And if my pulse is correct on Fire Emblem fandom, I'm pretty sure Edelgard is by far the most popular character from that um, game. So she was. I think if they were, yeah. So I think making it Byleth instead of uh, Byleth is kind of a blank slate in the, in the sense of being an Avatar character. So it also makes sense that that's the person that you could copy a move set from, you know, some other character. Onto. Yeah. I mean, personally, the only reason why I'm even entertaining this article is just because, like, the idea was now presented, and then, like, knowing what how Byleth's uh, moveset works, I'm just like, you know what? It's entirely possible it could have been a char- um, a Monster Hunter character. Like, uh, you know, with, with, like, the arrow, the axe... Um, the uh, like how the smash attacks work with the spear, and everything. I'm just like, oh yeah, no, absolutely. It could have been a monster hunter character easily. Um, and and like, you know, it, it it hurts even worse because it's also like, um, uh, playing playing as much of uh Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite I did. Yes, there are people who did play that game. People. Don't be surprised. Like you dig deep enough into that game, there is actually a good game in there. Everything else about it was just unfortunately terrible. Um, but like, uh, it it really sucks because um, Monster Hunter in that game was DLC too. But you play that character in Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, and it's just like, oh my goodness, this character is so much fun. It doesn't. She doesn't play like any other character from that game uh and it's such a it's such like a suitable um like uh it's such a suitable character that 
um, pays homage to the fandom as well. That's just like, man, like I, I want to see the Monster Hunter character in other fighting games now. Like that's how good it is because there's so much you can do uh, with just the blank slate character of a Monster Hunter because like you can literally have it be anyone. And there are already like, there are already like certain armor sets that are so popular just in general within the Monster Hunter franchise that it's like you just slap on that armor onto a guy or a girl and then you just call it the Monster Hunter and it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like nobody's really going to complain. You know, lots of skins. It's something similar to, uh, you know, how Robin is with the male and the female options and the variety of skins. And it would bring in a new audience. They, they said that it was just... They just didn't want to be involved in another IP, but they also have this character in Marvel vs. Capcom. What was the exact reasoning for it? Well, that's Capcom's game. I yeah, think it's a that's different... a good point. You know, so they don't want to work with another company at all in the franchise. That's the trick. That that seems to be the gist of it. Why? Going off of that article, so. I mean, I'm sure it comes down to money. We have Capcom characters in Smash. I don't know. It just seems odd to me. Yeah, but... some or I don't know why, um, why Monster Hunter in particular is is the problem. But who's to say, really? Um, and uh, be, before we go on to our last news news bit, like um, like uh, it was presented to me as to like who's another possibility for one of the last. DLC characters for Smash Ultimate and thinking about it I'm just like oh my goodness that's actually entirely possible um, either either the next or the last DLC character could be Ryu Hayabusa from Ninja Gaiden that would be a really good pick honestly yeah because that's like the last um, long standing Nintendo game that doesn't have a representative at all and it's also Japanese, so it's like it's even more likely to. Uh, no way to tell, obviously, and that's just like that's just a theory. Um, but it's just like mm, if if Ryu Hayabusa gets announced, I'd be super excited personally. But I would also laugh really hard because I know for a fact that there's probably going to be a lot of people mad about that too. Well, it's a nice rounding out, I think, because they've been. With this last set of fighters, you've they've branched out a little bit. You know, Steve was obviously everyone's. Oh, that couldn't really. Ha oh, that actually has happened. Wow. Um, you know, you had Sephiroth. It seems like they're going for like, uh, okay, let's bring in some more characters from certain franchises and round it out neatly. It wouldn't surprise me to bring in one more new franchise character, or maybe another character from a franchise that's already existing. I mean. My personal pick is I, I want to see Dr. Eggman just, just to complete the whole idea of we have a hero and a villain character. I think Dr. Eggman is one of the best possible picks for a Smash character just because it's a long-standing franchise, been around for a while. He has an impossible amount of different forms. You're just mm -hmm. like, look at all the Eggman robots. You can do a lot with that. You know, Like I said, the hero-villain combo is great too. We had Cloud, we added Sephiroth, Sonic, put Eggman in there. That's his personal preference. Sam and I were talking about M. Bison for the same reason. <laughs> I think it'd be great, too. Yeah. Good. Oh, jeez. Excuse me. Um, you have to edit. No, nah, that's fine. I, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think M. Bison is the obvious choice, even though I think um, most Street Fighter fans would say, no, it should be Sagat. And it's like, no, you're not wrong, but at the same time, it really has to be M. Bison because he is the villain. Um, He's iconic. He's the face of, like, Street Fighter villainy. Except the, the other problem, too, is that if you really think about it, if you want to add the villain equivalent, it should really be Akuma. Only problem is you'd have once again the Shoto clone issue, which has already been a long-standing issue in fighting games in general. So I don't think we need to do any cross-pollination of that problem. What I would like to see, and then we'll move on, is that they add in Bison at the same time without telling anybody. They add a code where if you pick Ryu and you do the motions, you get Akuma. That'd oh, amazing. that'd be good. See how long it takes people to figure it out. But it's like, you know, like... the old Smash rumors, I don't know, like it was back in Brawl at least. People were like, yeah, if you play this amount, you can unlock Dr. Mario or just random characters. And they just put impossible conditions on it. They're like, yeah, you can unlock Michael Jackson by doing this. I'm like, oh, really? Like, young me. Like, I gotta do that. No, you can't unlock Michael Jackson. Oh, yes. Back, uh, the days of my youth when I would look at Cheat Code Central for. Uh, how to catch Celebi and Mew in Pokemon Gold. Now I'm looking up grocery coupons. Cheat codes. Hey, those are better cheat codes. I don't know. Yeah, those are cheat codes. Don't let anyone tell, tell you otherwise. Um, All right. Okay. So the last... So some... Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Uh, the last segment is... Um, <clears throat> uh, Twitch actually doing something positive um uh a couple days ago from the point of recording oops i dated the podcast oh well um twitch removed uh the pogchamp emote after um the person of the emote uh gutex um made some posts encouraging uh violence after the riot at the capitol and Twitch, uh, I, I I believe rightfully so. Although, um, although there's some debate over it, I suppose. Uh, they decided to remove that emote. Um, Geek is a nonprofit organization that does not support any political candidates. Yeah, yeah but then the podcast is not organization as a whole. Yeah. But then uh, what they decide to do, which I think is actually like a really cool idea, is um, uh, oh shoot, what's the date of this tweet? Uh, yesterday, um, every 24 hours, they will rotate the PogChamp emote um, through faces of all of their streamers. So Twitter has been blowing up with suggestions from everyone. Um, and surprisingly, uh, and this is kind of fun because I actually know the streamer that they picked for the first one. Um, uh, Twitch, Twitch streamer, uh, Unruly, um, also known as Kenny, who's a member of the Yo! Video Games group, uh, led by Maximilian Dude, who's also a Twitch streamer, uh, has been chosen for the first, uh, PogChamp emote. And like, you know, um, uh, after watching uh, 
some of unruly streams. I definitely agree. Like that guy's a perfect candidate for PogChamp. Uh, he's a very he's a very good hype man. Uh, it's got a lot of personal, uh, personal, positive attitude. Um, that I think it's just like it's it's always fun just watching him. Uh, because like he's like he's he's very wacky, but at the same time, uh, like very positive attitude, very excited attitude as well um which you know is uh is not easy for all streamers to do of course and then i think it's like you know what that's like an excellent pog champ candidate um hopefully uh hopefully they can keep up um the good vibes with this um with this method as they switch out the emotes um and I, I think they also said that like uh, this way, if if there ever comes a time where any of these Twitch streamers that are promoted as PogChamp, um, and they do something uh, about as awful as Kutex, unfortunately did, uh, they can just remove it. So yeah, it's probably more work up front, but it's it's going to be easier down the road. Yeah. Just cycle people out. You don't even have to really mention it. Yeah. I, I think this is just solution. a... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, this is not surprising Twitch and a lot of other social media, almost all social media, major social media platforms have been under fire of the whole, like, hey, you're hosting this on your platform and this this major prominent person you have here is doing this thing. It's It's just been a problem across the board. And a lot of... I think this is creative. I, I respect them for doing this because it's... Commonly, the response is either we've ignored it and everyone's still mad or we've removed this person and everyone's yelling at us for censorship. And either way, I feel like you rarely have something that's, hey, we've actually listened to our community and we're going to find a way to engage with it and to attempt to curry goodwill because Twitch has been under fire a lot this past year. Yeah. Um, so, you know cynical side of me is just like okay it's another marketing stunt but it is on the other hand good to see like hey you're listening to your community you're actually engaging with it even if it is just kind of a promotional thing you've said we're listening to your concerns we're going to actually do something about that and we're going to find a way to reach out to the community and highlight people that are really making a positive impact here so i think i think it's good it's a rare thing to see and i like it yeah that being said um the other the other things that twitch has done should not be ignored just because they did this either of course like um no absolutely yeah I, and i mean like um like i still want to applaud them because they could have easily just tried to ignore this but um but at the same time it's like you know work's not done uh a lot of twitch streamers um are still are still kind of in danger what with the dmca uh dmca risks that run along with like stuff like audio and video now too so um you know kind of like gotta keep twitch on their toes and uh make sure they don't try to uh undercut something else after doing this so and that's it for news step forward but yeah i don't make make sure you don't want to step back in other areas mm -hmm. so let's see how it progresses All right, uh, so moving on, because we are, all of us are a little bit sick of hearing about <laughs> this week. Uh, 
we uh one nice thing that started in 2021 was that malachi and i are in a group called backlog golf and the way this works is uh every game you beat this year you get a minus one which is good because it's golf but if you buy a new game you get a plus one which is bad you play it you get another plus one which is bad um and then it's part of your backlog and you can beat it if you platinum a game you get another minus one and so the idea is to encourage us to um you know be a bit more financially wise. It's like uh, Dave Ramsey for video gamers. Maybe not that extreme, but I think Dave Ramsey is a gamer. It's just my personal theory. So you know, well, imply that you can't play games. Yeah, that's that's fair. If anything, I mean, financial planning is a game in and of itself, right? <laughs> but in any case, uh, so we Don't started. Don't get this many week. ideas. It's gonna make a new book. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, in any case. We, so we one uh, aspect of the of backward golf is that you can't abandon games if you're three hours in and you're just like I don't want to play this anymore, and so I've already abandoned a couple games, um, and but then also a few other people have talked about I just can't do this anymore, and I'm so sad about a couple of them. So I I'll, I'll give some context and then just want to talk about what it takes for you to stick with a game or just to give it up. Um, so 20 years ago, my friend Chris, I'm sorry if you hear this, Chris, uh, bought me Legend of Dragoon for a birthday and i started it and i was like dude this is like a final fantasy 7 ripoff this is not that good and he was crushed um and then recently i felt bad about it and i had my friend's vita and you could still buy it on the vita store as like a ps1 classic so i bought it and i got about five hours in and i told him that i was like dude i'm playing legend underground and he was just like so happy okay i'm allowed to spoil 20 year old games right here yes. i don't care go for it every every jrpg has the like the, the entire motif of a jrpg is like why is it this character because you're the magical hero you're the luminary you're the you know you're the chosen one okay but in legend of dragoon when the third person in your party was also a chosen mis mysterious warrior i just turned it off i couldn't take it anymore so that was about five hours in that i just i mean you're already putting up with 20 year old because it's not like a remaster or like uh you know, like even like the Final Fantasy VIII remaster, you can speed up things or whatever, or, or like save anywhere or suspend. Like, no, this is a straight PS1 port. So you're already putting up with all, all the quality of life that you don't have. And then really it's not, the story is bad, but also the the translation is abysmal. Like the, the even just like the grammar is wrong, like quite a bit. So yeah, I just couldn't take it anymore. On the other hand, one of our guys was talking, uh, I mentioned I was playing Tales of Zestaria, and he was like, I love that game, but I just couldn't do the combat. And I agree, the combat and that in Tales of Berseria are hot garbage. So what I did, for me, was I put the game on auto battle, and I play my Switch during the combat, which seems bad. Like, maybe I should just play another game. But I, I paid my $9 to get it on sale. <laughs> I'm going to beat this sucker, even if the computer does it for me, which is a whole other feels bad. But uh, I'm sticking with that one. And so my question for you guys is, at what point do you just say, man, I'm just, I've taken the L on whatever I paid for this game and I'm done. Or is it like, I'll just put it down for a year. Or is it like, you know, you know what, no matter how many times it takes, I'm going to beat this. How do you draw the line? So I would like to note that I'm very bad at beginning games. Um, to be quite honest, it's part of why I stepped into backlog golf is because I look at my shelf full of games and I go, oh, I should have beaten that one. That's the first game I got for the PS4, and I was really excited about playing it. And it's been four years, and I haven't beaten it. Um, that's part of it because I'm very distractible. And so I, I'm also I have ADHD, and I feel like that factors into how I play games. So I have the bad habit of just getting really passionate about a game, like hyperfixating on it, 
But if I don't beat it within the period in which my brain is passionate about it, I suddenly lose all interest in it. Um, that's just my general, like, how I've ended up not beating a lot of games. But to get specific, I feel like I have two examples. Um, actually, you know what? They kind of both fall into the same example. It's when I've worked myself into a corner. If I've put a lot of time into a game and have entered a game state in which I feel like I'm incapable of beating it as is, I frequently have no desire to go back to it because it, it, it um, what am I thinking of? I haven't beaten Dishonored yet. I really should beat Dishonored. I know it's a good game. The problem is I got distracted while playing Dishonored. You know how in Dishonored you have the two different, like generally two different paths of different skills you can take, non-lethal versus lethal. I couldn't figure out which path I wanted to take, so I just kind of took a general amount of skills, and by the end of the game, I was completely useless in every category. Oh, wow. Or, you know, what's the phrase? Yeah, uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, that was it. It's like, I can summon rats, but I haven't upgraded my summoning rats enough to be good for more than one rat. But I can't do anything else. I just wanted to be able to summon rats. Um, that's just one scenario. Again, I haven't still beaten, looking at my shelf over here, I still haven't beaten Dishonored. So that's, and that's on me. You know, I could restart the game or find a way to beat it in my current setup. But it's just a lot, and I have to motivate myself to get back into it. The other one I'm thinking of is Darkest Dungeons, which, like we're talking about roguelikes earlier, and you know what it takes to really have the game like motivate you to stick with it. Um, and I feel like the roguelikes I have been able to beat are ones where I, you know the game stares me in the face and dares me to try to beat it, and I stare back at it and I'm confident and assured and I, I take on the challenge. And honestly, Darkest Dungeons and I had a stare down and I blinked. Um, that game is horrifyingly brutal. Like, I know Maurice said that he was capable of... He beat it, and he was like, you should do this with your people. I'm not good at optimizing. Like, I have my classes of characters, and in Darkest Dungeons, it's permadeath when anyone in your party dies. Like, that character is gone, gone. Um, and so you have the scenario, these scenarios where I get somewhere near the end of the game, and I build up my kill party of characters, and I'll be like, all right, ready to go? Ready to go. Everyone's ready to go on this last mission? Okay. All of them have wiped out. That is my entire class of my best characters. Time to start building up more more characters. And it it just kind of got exhausting after a while. And uh, I, I think I, I, I did it for me when I finally managed to pick myself back up, you know, after a devastating loss, put another group of characters through boot camp, train them all up and then had them all wiped out in the same boss battle that I lost my last party in. And to wrap it up generally in a point, I think when it becomes more work than play and I'm no longer having fun, that is my general like cutting off point. Um, sometimes I am able to push through and be like, it's worth it just for like, you know, the end justify the means, even if I have to work through this sucky part, it's worth it for a good ending. Other times it's just, man, I work 40 hours a week I, uh, I don't need to be working when i'm playing games um and this is what this feels like so that's generally where i'm at um but hopefully this year maybe who knows i might be funny might, might, might be both of those we'll see i agree if, it's, if it's a restart then I'm, I'm not having it i have a vivid memory this is going to show how old i am 
Uh, so in Final Fantasy VIII, there was this weird thing where the boss's levels were like multipliers of your levels. It's like one of my friends, he always grinds at the beginning, and he grinded to like level 20 before the first boss. And then it was impossible because he didn't have like new skills, but like the boss was like always four times his level. So uh, he, he had to restart early. But I remember getting to the final boss in Final Fantasy VIII, and I couldn't beat him. And I, this is before YouTube, whatever years, this was like 1998 or something. And I, I ripped the ending off of the disc with like a CD ripper so that I could watch it because I was like, I'm not beating this boss. So I don't think that counts by that clock golf rules. Um, you can count it as an abandon. That's I'm just, true. I'm just saying, yeah, if, if you're going to have to restart the whole game, I am not interested. And I don't mean like a roguelike, you know, starting back at the beginning, but it, like if you're, if you got to reset 40 hours, forget it but does this does dishonored have um difficulty settings because i feel like easy, easy mode it for you know five minutes and then i believe it does i might do that the other issue is that this this dishonored my dishonored copy is last gen um and so i might just make the jump to ps4 and buy the ps4 version of it eventually also my xbox 360 that i've kept running for eight years might have just bit the dust or at least the cord because uh, I think the cord got like bent out of shape during transport when I was moving, so now it's just a paperweight. Um, so yeah. it's honestly yeah. just the effort of having to go buy Dishonored to the PS4 and start over, which I'm okay with doing, but I don't want to right now. So eventually. So, so I've about you? Uh, so I've just been looking at my Steam list. Um, it doesn't even reflect like games that I've given up on. Uh, when I was a kid um, and I mean like you know forget even uh, <laughs> games that I've accumulated um, ever since Steam came out um, like okay let me see here how many games in total do I have okay too many is the answer annoying backlog golf we can have a beat them go ahead I want to hear it. Yeah, so I have over 1,000 games. Um, you sound like Joe. <laughs> Joe has figured out that he will not beat every game he owns before he dies. I'm pretty sure that's how it Oh, no, yeah. I mean, there's no way. And even then, it's like... Um, like, mo most of these games I picked up uh, when I first started accumulating this collection. I was mostly getting, like, Humble Bundles, actually, at the time. Like... Humble Bundle will do it for you. I did the same thing. Yeah, that was basically around the time when Humble Bundle or like uh, gaming bundles were were like starting out and they were getting pretty big. Like I have a section of Steam games that are basically just like um, these are the games I know I'm not going to touch no matter what. Um, yeah, and I, I called it Dust Collectors and it's just like even going through that game... Um, like some of these games I've shelved, some of these I have completed and just haven't gone gone back to ever. Um I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll go through it again just to see uh what I did miss. But um I mean like compared to you guys, obviously I I really have a different um I, I just have a different mindset about about video games like because um, there's a lot of games like i get from like uh 
itch.io um and like they're like uh with japanese games uh japanese indie games in particular there's so many of those games that have never made it over to um to the west um or they solely exist in like the small niche of people who are aware of those games and like i can't add those to steam either so like um you know it's like there are so many games just in general where it's like uh there there are some games i'm gonna miss and to me that's like that's more that hurts me more than like not completing a game if that makes any sense like for sure um like not being able to experience uh some of the unique stories that that are out there like for example um itch.io is an indie is an indie game site for budding developers like people who are just trying to get off the ground like basically zero budget spare time projects stuff like that uh these are people who are trying to make their dreams come true and stuff like that um there are people who want to express their own unique world views um like you go through that you go through that list on itch there are a lot of people from uh the lgbtq community who are just trying to um present their own story their own voices in a way in the only way they know how to um and i think that's like uh i well to be fair um i haven't played many of those games um but i think in another way there's a like it's important to have a space where like all video games are represented no matter how small or big they are so for me, it's more like I, I would rather be able to at least experience a piece of any game that's available and not worry so much about not completing it. I mean, um, on the like, I literally have a list of called Backlog, pack, backlog Golf myself where it's about like, these are games I want to complete eventually. And even then it's like, Right now, I only have uh, 10 of the 14 installed. Um, and it's like, I'm not sure when I'll get around to completing them. But at the same time, it's like the amount of time that I did that I did have with those games were enough where it's like, I want to come back to these games at some point. Um, and, you know, it's like you can't really um invest all of your time to every single game you want to you want to play to completion right um so like feeling feeling like um feeling like you didn't do a game justice just because you didn't complete it um i i feel it's like it's it's kind of a debatable subject for me at least when it comes to video games because it's much more interactive compared to like uh reading a book or or watching a movie or a show or listening to music where it's like 
but but even then like each of those experience is very unique on their own and separate from each other so i don't think you should hold um like quote unquote a completion standard for everything because you know um because maybe it's just like uh you just can't invest enough time or um there just wasn't enough there to like keep you going um and there are plenty of games that i've dropped off uh even after playing like i would i would argue like enough time that i've given it given to it and then said like okay this was good but um it, it's not enough to like make me want to complete it so i'll just move on to the next one um although i i think there is some merit to doing something like backlog golf where it's like uh you should take the time to complete a game uh because if you bought it then you should at least try to appreciate it all the way through so i definitely see the merit in that now yeah, i mean for me personally I, I do agree in that there are a lot of experiences out there that was very inspirational um and it reminded me that i have the itch.io bundle and need to go back and find some of those smaller products because i forget those are out there and they're important to play through i, I agree but like for me, a lot of backlog golf is, I guess, an encouragement, you know, because I have the tendency to either to step away from games or to spend a lot of time on one thing. And so really, for me, it actually has, does encourage me to spread out the different experiences. Kind of like, I got this because at one point I said, I'm confident this is an experience that I'm going to enjoy. And so I'm going to spend money on it and, you know, support this artist. And I never got around to it. Um so I, I would say, I, I think for me personally, it's encouraging. Of I've got a bunch of indie games that I have not touched, um, and even like larger games that have been out for forever um, that I want to give attention to. But I, I definitely agree with your saying that beating it is not the end-all metric of a game. Like It totally is valid to, to drop one off or to say, you know, I've had the experience I need to with this. I've given it a chance and just, you know what? I've only got so many hours. I don't know how much time we have, so... Another part of um, backlog golf is, is financial responsibility for some of us that felt like they were blowing way too much money. And so one thing that you pointed out about completing games versus spending money is another way we could approach it that we don't is like, rather than I'm going to beat these games, I can only buy so many games. It might be like, I'm going to spend X amount per year. I'm going to budget amount. In which case, something like a humble bundle is like, oh, there's 20, I don't need 20 new games. But on the other hand, it's like way cheaper than um you know buying a 60 dollar triple a game so that if you twist it and you think about it this in terms of like dollars rather than games then stuff like combo bundle and itch makes a lot of sense yeah and i mean like um i, I think uh considering the situation now and like what's already available and like um like the deals that you can get on video games digitally has has probably just helped um, spread those games out even more. Like, you know, the Humble Bundle subscription plan, I would say is probably one of the best ones you can get if you want to get, if you want to like um, uh, actually have the, have the digital games um, and own them for a relatively cheap price for about the same price as a Netflix su subscription. Um, one thing that's even better uh, to a certain degree that works more like Netflix 
but is even cheaper or uh or sorry um is is the same price as well is the xbox game pass and you know like microsoft has done a really good job with uh with turning that service into into like one of the best subscription services ever uh you can play it on xbox or pc like that's great um but to get back to the actual topic uh because i kind of segued that into a more philosophical question um like when it comes to games that i've just dropped off of um there um i i mean i touched on it a little bit before where it's like you know i'll play it for a certain amount of time uh maybe maybe like half an hour to two hours depending on like how how big that game is um a, a couple of the, a couple of games that i've played before and um have dropped uh after spending such a long time with them uh one of them was um uh Tokyo Mirage Sessions for the Wii U and um and uh to be perfectly honest I didn't go into that game with the most positive mindset so that's partly my fault as well because you know, uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions was not the game that most most fans were hoping that they would get. Um, originally being promoted as a Shin Megami Tensei cross Fire Emblem game, um, I was there neither, for the SMT because I'm an SMT guy. Um, that's, but neither of those uh, genres are nearly as fabulous as that game, which are either franchise, which is really what confuses me about that. Yeah, because um, I think the pro the biggest problem with that game is that um, it, it like and um, like I I just said it right now like it really is isn't what people were were hoping for or even what people even expected after after it actually got announced because um. It doesn't even play like a SMT game. It plays more like a Persona game. And uh and for for people who aren't aren't aware of the SMT franchise, yes there is a difference, surprisingly. Um I know that's going to be hard to believe because technically Persona is a spin-off of the SMT franchise. But at this point with um with how they've both developed, uh Persona and SMT are two separate entities from each other now um and uh but um when i dropped tokyo mirage sessions i still remember it where it was like um i i think i made it to about the halfway point of that game because i think there's like eight eight or ten chapters if i remember correctly derek is that true I don't remember specifically. I did beat the Switch version last year, but I knew going in, like, I didn't have the hype leading up to it. I kind of knew that it was, like, not what I would have originally expected and that it was basically a slice-of-life anime with Fire Emblem characters in it. Yeah. No, that's pretty accurate because that's what I walked away with. Um, but, yeah, like, I basically started um, 
the half point chapter um they introduced a new character uh it was the blonde um it was the blonde actress i I forget her name that's how much i didn't care at that point it's like that's like halfway through yeah yeah and it was just like i was just sitting there going through cutscenes, and kind of just realizing oh i've fallen into a loop i hate this loop yeah i'm just gonna return the game and i stopped playing it right there and i think i had already played like like 20 to 30 hours at that point and it's just like yeah that sucks because um because like i'd already given in my mind honestly even if i didn't go into it with uh, a more positive attitude which i probably should have it's still just like man nothing about this game is interesting to me at all um like if anything it's like um if anything it was like it was kind of the moment of realization where i'm just like maybe i don't actually like uh triple a japanese games as much as i thought i did um and it was kind of like it was a really sobering moment for me where i was just like oh no oh no i'm uh i'm more cynical than i thought and that's kind of that kind of sucks but that's not really true the the truth is is like um I had just like, I just realized I'm becoming more aware of what I actually like and recognizing that uh, through games that I'm playing. It's not, you know, it's like, you know, you, you say to yourself as a kid, oh, I'm going to be a Nintendo fan forever. But then you grow up, uh, life has changed you and you kind of realize, you know what? I'm not really a Nintendo fan. I'm really more of like just a Mario fan, really. Uh, and then that gets skewed even more. But um, yeah, Final Fantasy VII showing up on PlayStation was like a life crisis moment for me. <laughs> like, what do I pick, Nintendo, or do I pick SquareSoft? I pick SquareSoft, which you should have. Um, it was a good choice. Yeah, yeah, because SquareSoft. Oh man, back in the day, they were killing it for sure. But. Yeah. In the case of that game, though, I feel like too they took two AAA franchises and made a AA game. So I, I I struggle to call that a AAA game. I would call it a B game, honestly. So, well, sure. It, it's it's about as bad as any of those um. Uh, any of those like uh, compile heart RPGs, because the structure is basically the same. You go through a somewhat generic dungeon, watch a couple cutscenes an anime moment happens then you fight the boss and then another anime moment happens and then you repeat the process over and over again a lot of those a lot of those japanese rpgs are like that unfortunately um and you don't really get like and you don't really get like um the same type of quality or even like what i would call a like a good enough contrasting experience except from like uh except from like Square Enix and some of Atlas's games. You and basically it, described the Tales series to me just now, mm-hmm. but I feel like they're somewhat saved by the skits. Like you have enough interpersonal moments with the party and it kind of rises above like the, the somewhat mediocre shell, but Mirage Sessions didn't really have anything to like 
set it apart. Like it had the same boring shell as a lot of other Japanese games, but then no like its its unique twist was like, oh, it's two series smashed together, but that didn't like elevate the gameplay any. Yeah, and um, I mean like, and uh, I, I um, I I remember too. We talked about it a long time ago when we were doing one of our practice podcasts, where um, we were talking about open world games, and like uh, for me. I really can't stand Western open world games, uh, at least like stuff like um, modern Fallout, um, save for New Vegas, which was the only one of those games that actually managed to stick with me for a fairly long time, in spite of the fact that, uh, yeah, in, in spite of the fact the technical issues that game has, it was the only game of that type that actually managed to grip me enough where I was like I'm naturally progressing through the story but I'm also having like that actual open world experience that all those games of that type uh, boast about where it's like yeah you're going to sink in so many hours and you're not going to know how the time is gone and I'm just like well well I did have that experience but most of those games I didn't really enjoy I was kind I was kind of just on autopilot, really. Um, like, and it's like, uh, and, and that's not to discredit those games necessarily. I mean, like, in you, you can't say in other ways. Um, they did form, they did formulate like things that were important for for modern video games later on, but. Uh, but even at that time, it's just like I. I couldn't get behind those games, no matter how how much uh, everyone else around me was just enjoying those games. And it's just kind of realizing, you know what? Maybe my tastes are just different from any, everybody else. I'm like, I'm looking for very specific experiences, not not necessarily like the most epic experience. And I agree with that 100. percent Like playing a short hike today, like I played that in one city, and that game was definitely worth the seven bucks I paid. Mm-hmm. Like games are like, oh, there's 200 hours. I'm like, well, Malachi said earlier, I don't want to work. I work all day. <laughs> like, if it's 200 hours, it's because at some point it's a chore. Yeah. And yeah, the... it out. Like, how much was 200 hours? I had to spend yeah. how much am I just fetching things because the game told me to. <laughs> and uh, now that I think about it, um. I think um, the first game I completed while going through college was actually uh, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. And that was actually also my first uh, Platinum game as well. Um, and it's, it's just like... Game. Yeah. Uh, going back to it now, it, it doesn't really quite feel that way anymore. Um, I will definitely say some of the later games definitely beat uh, Revengeance out the water, but even then it's just like uh playing through that game i'm just like oh man like this game is like hitting everything for me it's kind of awesome like uh even the even the annoying bits i don't let it bother me that all that much i i just like cruise through it either way and i think that's kind of what got me into character action games was playing revengeance and going like man i kind of like these uh these kind of these kind of campy uh character uh character empowerment 
experiences where you're just like you're just an absolute you're just an absolute savage and you just blow through enemies like crazy not not like D dynasty warriors uh, just want to make that clear but uh games where it's like it lets you feel cool but at the same time you have to work for it as well uh also that was kind of what i liked about super hot vr honestly is yeah it 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 bring it all the way back but it was the the next step forward of the you have to work to look good doing it because you know the original super hot games yeah you actually are making those motions but you never feel cooler when you're physically grabbing a gun out of the air and flipping it around and shoot someone with it and like that's neat you'll also lose weight doing it i'll just say that that's an advantage hey that's good oh man now I just going. I just kind of want to talk about titles from Platinum Games. Now we shouldn't. We should get off this subject right now. <laughs> well, we're close to wrapping up anyway. I guess maybe in terms of committing, however much we're going to commit to beating games this week, maybe what what's next that you guys are going to tackle? Because I got an hour left. I'm going to play something here afterwards. Um, I'm going to finally finish Yakuza Like a Dragon. This has been the longest I've ever spent on a Yakuza game. Um, I think it's partially be, partially because I don't know what it is. I think it is just a really long game. I think it's also the RPG elements and the fact that I'm not good at RPGs because I, I got stuck on it and I very briefly for the first time considered putting down a Yakuza game because there's a great moment when your characters run into like a, a precursor to the major boss fight like shortly before that. And you hear like the characteristic laugh of a series, like a main series character. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's this character. And they show up and they have a boss battle. And I was like, this is cool. And then you wiped out all of my guys. And I was like, well, this, well, that wasn't fun. Uh, okay. And then I had to actually grind, which I wish I, I didn't mind to rewrite my review because I said there wasn't that much grinding involved. And then I got to an actually challenging boss fight and I had to do that. Um, but I beat it. I'm glad to say that I did. And I'm on the verge of the final boss. I'm going to finish that. And then I'm going to take a break from Yakuza because I've been playing nothing but Yakuza games for the last three or four games that I've beaten. We're going to play Cluster Truck next, which is a fun little indie game. Y'all may or may not have heard of it. It's a platformer where you are on a series of trucks that are consistently falling down and you just jump from truck to truck. And I'm pretty sure the game procedurally generates levels. I can't remember. I just remember seeing some YouTuber talk about it and going, that sounds ridiculous. I'm buying it right now, and I've never played it. So yeah. hopefully we'll, that won't take very long to beat, and I'm looking forward to doing a normal review of just a very odd indie game where someone was like, what if you just had a bunch of trucks and you're jumping on them? Like, that's a good game idea. I'm making that. Cluster Truck is a ton of fun, honestly. I've played that myself, and it's just like, like th this is so ridiculous, but it's also hilarious. <laughs> Um, I think for me personally, uh, there's a lot of stuff in my personal life, uh, that's kind of crazy right now. Um, so I, I actually asked if I could take, um, this month and next month off just so I can focus on getting my life sort together. Uh, if, if everything's good, then I might be able to come, come back and write an article soon, but, um. Uh, I believe 
for my next article, I'm going to actually take on a game that I've always wanted to I've always wanted to complete, which is the Silver Case. This was a game um by developer Suda51 uh back in the day. It originally came out on the PlayStation 1. And uh it's a I I guess it's a visual novel type game, but it does have some interactive gameplay gameplay elements to it. Um, it's very gritty. It's very adult. Lots of foul language. So, Derek, unfortunately, I think this game might have to be crossed off your list. But for uh, context, everybody else, I am the one staffer on staff that doesn't play M-rated games. It's just a general rule. I don't know why. I'll play it. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's good, I might. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, the silver case is cool because it. It's kind of like, like I I guess I would describe it as a, um, like a Tokyo crime drama game, uh, because it's about a serial killer that you're trying to chase down. Um, But I don't really know too much about it. But it's, it has this like really haunting aura. If you go to the Steam page, and you look at screenshots for it, um, all the art uh, has this very stylistic uh stylistic but still somewhat realistic art style to it um and it's kind of like uh like the the visual depiction of faces um is kind of haunting and very uh i i want to say noir-esque almost it's really interesting i'm pretty excited about getting into it but uh, unfortunately, it's it's an older visual novel type game, which means there's a lot of reading to do. So hopefully, during my two months off, I I'll be able to like get through it uh, fairly quickly in time for the review. Yeah, I'm looking here to push buttons, not read things. Come on. <laughs> so there was a. There was a Kotaku article uh, maybe into last year about knocking out your backlog. And one thing that they said that surprised me, the rest of it didn't surprise me, but they said you should always start with the big games first rather than knock out the little ones because you'll run out of enthusiasm and just not finish the big ones. So I'm going to finish Tales of Zestaria. But after that, I think I'm going to play Tokyo Xanadu EX Plus, which is a maybe same sort of that one since he's sort of every little Japanese game. But it's the one uh it's the one game that Neon Falcom has made that wasn't a Sora Trails title. So um they're big on for those two games or those two franchises. But it's an RPG that is kind of a modern day Tokyo World Ends with You persona type vibe. Um but I basically bought it just because I'm a huge Trails fan and it was it was on sale for like I think under 10 bucks on PS4. So I'm gonna give that a shot. Um, and then we'll see how that goes. Yeah, just looking at it real quick, it kind of looks similar. I stumped Sam. That's a rare no, achievement. I, I remember seeing it. I just haven't, like, I, I just never looked into it. That's the thing. Yeah, I read it was a bit more of a dungeon crawl than, like, a typical RPG, so that has me a little skeptical for my style, but I'm going to give it a shot. Well, I All wish right, you so luck. Pretty, yeah. 
And we wish you guys luck on whatever you knock out back next. So uh, once Sam's got this uploaded, you can comment below on next game you're going to tackle on your backlog and uh, like and subscribe and all that stuff. But really, for content from us, if you go to geeksundergrace.com, uh, you'll see lots of reviews and editorials and various things. Not only video games, but tabletop, movies, anime, all of it, Christian living. Um, so we appreciate you checking it out. Thank you.